Good morning, family. How are we feeling? Amen, amen. Come, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord. What an amazing time of worship, just for allowing us to be a part of, to be even being your presence. You're always mindful of us. So we ask that you continue having your way. We surrender and submit the rest of this message, this service, even the message to you. So that you will have come to pass what you want to have. So like the song says, nothing can stop us when you're a part of us. So just anoint us afresh. Breathe upon us. Open our ears to hear. Our hearts to receive, our minds to understand, and our eyes to see how this is relevant to us. You are a great God, a good God, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. How are we feeling, family? How are we feeling in the balcony? Y'all were convincing. <laughs> oh. Oh man, God is so good. So this is, we're ending off the month of Ascension, but I want to segue something in. Something I ministered in Brooklyn campus, I'm going to minister it here because I think it's, uh, it's necessary and relative. Amen? Amen? Amen. So turn to your neighbor, say neighbor. Amen. Listen up. Listen up. <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm a product of Sunday school. How many, how many of us went to Sunday school back in the days? Remember? Right? Father Abraham. Has many sons, and many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. Oh! <laughs> Man, I grew up in Sunday school, uh, hanging out. Uh, you know, what really got me wasn't what we were being taught, but my dad, you know, he really went all out. He had the Nabisco crackers, the real gingerbread crackers, you know, and he had the Mott's apple juice, not the no frills, you know, the nice Mott's and stuff like that. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to Sunday school, all services. <laughs> but after, after a while, I sat there and a lot of it started sinking in and I started learning. I said, wow, you know, and I, I thought I was a man, you know, learned. I went to school. Pre-K to 11th grade, I was in, 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 in private school all my life, private school. You know, and, and that's why I think I'm so rebellious now. I don't like wearing suits and ties because I had to wear a, a shirt and tie from pre-K to 11th grade. That's, that's almost, almost most of my life, you know? So, I, so I'm a little rebellious, but um, I learned a lot. And, 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 and in the process... You know, I thought I knew the Bible. Somebody came to me and they asked me a question, and, and it literally, really, really messed me up. It rocked the foundation of my Christianity. It really threw me off. And, 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 and I said, wow, I swore I was prepared for this question. I swore that I was at a place where I, 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 I can, you know, pretty much answer this question without a doubt, you know, and, and, and it, it really didn't do good. It stumped me, and it, it, that annoyed me. And if you know me, I, 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 I don't like not to have answers. You know, I, even to the point where I used to make up answers, make it sound good. You know, to the point where my wife had to say, is that true? I said, okay, it's not true, but it sounded good, right? <laughs> 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 and, 
And this person asked me, they said, they asked a question, and I said, wow, if I go through this, if people ask me this question, how many of us are faced with the same question? How many of us are, are, are put to a place where they ask us this question and we're not prepared to answer it? And the question was, it was, it was a simple question, but he said, he said, how do you know the Bible is reliable and or true? He said, he said, he said, he said that, that it, it was written by man, you know, and, and, and it has, it's, it's been translated so many different times and it's been watered down. How do you know the Bible is true? And, and in my first instant, because I didn't really have the answer, and I, and I, I reverted back to my, my, my childhood days because my dad said so. You know, but as you grow older, you know, you can't lean on the, on the fact that your, your, your pastor said so or your mother said so. This is how I was raised. So I was raised to believe in this Bible. But you have to have evidence. Right. right? Ev- evidence is so crucial now these days. You, look, look how crucial evidence is. You could have done a crime 50 years ago. And because of the evidence, they can actually link you back to that crime. So in thinking about this, this whole idea that, that okay, so, so, so this is the first thing I want you to go away with. Evidence is crucial, even when it comes to Christianity. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Evidence is crucial, evidence is crucial. Even, when it comes even when it comes to Christianity. Christianity. And why? Because I don't want you walking around with a blind faith. Because if we say that this is a reason trust, the reasoning has to be built on some evidential backing. Amen? I know. This is, this is, this, I'm going to give you a crash course on one of the classes I took in high school. I mean, in college for theology school. All right? See, because t- television is filled with CSI, right? You got CSI, you got crime scenes, you got four, first 48 hours. You know, you can go on, you know, especially if you're on, on, on the crime channel. Really trying to see who's guilty or not. But without proof, it can be difficult to prove our case or find the truth. So I'm going to give you some proof. All right? And I, I love this. I'm excited. How many know we serve an intentional God? Right? We serve an intentional God. See, but the reality is that we have to go to a place where we, we really need to know the word is the word. And we can stand in the word because so many of us, we, the songs that we sing come out of the word. So how can we boldly sing and, and say, you know my name? You know, you walk with me. You talk with me. How can we, can we deeply really say that if there's a question about the Bible that we're getting that from? See, God's word is tested every day. And how many of you would agree that even in the community, in the culture that we are free to worship God, we're persecuted even more. Okay, that means you're not out there evangelizing. If you're not persecuted as a Christian, you're not out there evangelizing. You keep your, your, you keep your Christianity a secret. See, this, this, don't get me wrong, there's countries where you know, the Bible can't be printed, the Bible can't be read, it can't be passed along, it can't be, it, it can't be even sold. But even in our own backyards, here in America, land of the free, they want us to dial down our Christianity. They say, oh, you're too loud as a Christian. And they start attacking the very book that is the foundation of your Christianity. But thank God, no, I'm not going to throw that, that, that wrench in there. 
is the second thing I want you to do, to write down. Understanding deepens the level of confidence. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Understanding, understanding deepens the level of your confidence. So the more you understand, the deeper your confidence goes. See, because when you're confident about something, when, when you know that you know that you know that, no matter what somebody says, you, you, you know that this is true. This is reliable. Then you'll walk with a certain walk. You'll talk a certain talk. You'll, you'll go to people and say, look, look, I see you going through stuff, but let me tell you about this Christ because I'm so confident in the resurrected power of this Christ we serve that no matter what you can say. Okay, it's, 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 I think it's too early for my church folk. So God with his intent, he was amazing at picking specific authors to write the Bible. You know, he was, he was so intent. He said, okay, look, he, he looked at a person like Luke, right? And we're going to go to Luke. And he looked at Luke's makeup. And he said, man, this guy's a physician. And with a physician, you know that even, even you know, 2,000 years ago, you had to have certain precision. You have to have a, a, you know, craft a certain technique and, and a style to operate on individuals. You have to be so detailed that you know what you're about to do. You know what you're about to get into. You have to be so, 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 so you know, inquisitive that you get to the bottom line to make sure that you're not you know, diagnosing the problem wrong. You go in for one thing and come out having another surgery because you read the charts wrong. So let's look at Luke. Because I believe God was confident in what Luke was going to create. Luke chapter 1. And I love how he sets the, 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 the parameter on, on how he, he's writing and what he's writing and why he wrote what he wrote. He first starts, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account. Oh, sorry. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So first is a grouping that came before him. Right? That took on the task to draw up a specific account. He says, he says, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. Say eyewitnesses. So these are individuals that got fourth, fourth, fifth, seventh generation. They had firsthand account of what happened. He says, and servants of the word. So not only were they eyewitnesses, but they actually brought up the story, put it together, and served it. Made it part of their life. They changed their whole lifestyle to adhere to this very scripture and text. He, said, he continues re, uh, re writing. He said, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated, he did so Luke himself, even when he saw that these individuals did their due diligence, wrote it down, became servants of it, he said, you know what? I'm going to do my own research. He didn't say it like my dad said. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning to decide to, I, decide, I too decide to write an orderly account for most, for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So he was methodical with writing it down. 
You see, because the, 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 the truth is, most of us, almost all of us, have acquired knowledge because of somebody writing something down. So if you're going to question the knowledge you receive from the Bible, you have to question all other knowledge. Because the same standard you put towards the text that you're reading in the Bible is the same standard you should put towards the text that you read in any book. To this day, my kids, uh, my, my, my son is doing social, social, uh, social studies. I think they got a new name for it. I, 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 right, when I was growing up, it was social studies. That's it. You know, it was English. They got ELA and, and lab. And I'm like, no, English, right, you know. <laughs> and I read it. It was like on a, the, the, the 12th edition. The 12th edition of the book. And I said, what's the difference? They said, oh, they, 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 they got new information. They acquired new information. I said, wow. It's amazing how, how, how no matter what happens, we the Bible that we're reading today is the same Bible 100 years ago. There's no new edition of the Bible. It might be a new translation. It might be a new perception, but there's no new edition. See, I took, up, I took it up as, as a challenge. Let's go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And once again, this is Peter having a conversation with individuals. And we, got, we can look all over the Bible, and these are just the two scriptures I pulled out. It says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories. He says, look, we weren't hoodwinked. This wasn't just something that we heard for ourselves. It's not something that, that we, you know, we just happened to come across. He said, these weren't cleverly devised stories. They're good stories. He said, but we were there. This is Jamalism. Can I, can I? He said, but we were there. You might not read it in the translation you know, any other translations, but this is Jamalism once again. He said, so, 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 he, he, so Peter's having a conversation with a group of individuals. He said, look, let me tell you something. He said, I'm not, I'm not just fine, because you know, it's, it's an insult to him. He felt, he felt disrespected because people were accusing him of something that was false. And he, his defense says, look, just to let you know, this is not something I'm just following because I heard it from somebody else. He said, for I was there. He said, I witnessed it. Not only did I witness it, I didn't just see it with my eyes. He said, I heard the voice of God. As it opened up and said, this is my, my son in whom I'm pleased. Yes, yes. And all his power and his majesty. He said, so don't get it twisted. Please understand that what we're talking about is not something of happenstance. So he said, look, I heard it. I saw it. He said, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm just letting you know. And what I've come to realize that, 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 that all texts, historic, historical texts, has to go into three tests. Three tests. Number one is what we call an internal test. All historical texts, no matter what it is, it's the Bible, a social studies book, you know, some type of history, it, it all, they all, to talk about the reliability and the validity of this book, they all put it under the same test. Because in order for them to defute the Bible, they had to put it in the same test. They put all other texts under. So number one, he said, he said we're going to do an internal test. This is, what, this is what scholars do. All the way from England to Australia, no matter what, it's a global test. It's not just because Pastor Jamal had a good idea. Number one, internal evidence. And what do we talk about the internal evidence? The writers were witnesses or interviewed eyewitnesses. So there's still a close 
conversation of individuals who either saw it or they interviewed individuals who saw it. That's the first, te- the first part of internal uh, evidence. How about this number two? was embarrassing testimonies. Because the Pastor Jamal was writing a book, and I was Peter. Oh, you want to hear the story about Pastor Jamal cursing some lady out? I'd have been smooth with it. Think about that. Come on, Peter swung with the sword and missed and cut the guy's ear off. No, I'm catching everything. My story, Pastor Jamal put that work in. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I'm not going to put that embarrassment. I'm not going to say that I denied the very individual that I was here to, to, to work with. Come on, that's an embarrassing testimony. And he goes around and three times embarrassing, he's cursing the lady out, he's getting upset with her, talking about mind her business because you're trying to get me killed. <laughs> Read your Bible, it's in your Bible. So, so, so we have, there were eyewitnesses or they interviewed eyewitnesses, there were some embarrassing testimonies, and then number, number, number three, enemy, what they call attestation, or basically saying enemies were, were eyewitnesses. And the, the stories of the enemies actually corroborated their story. Now, if I know you and you know me, if somebody did me dirty and did something wrong to me, I'm not going to make them look good. I'm going to lie on their story. Or if you have an enemy, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, Pastor Jamal, he did cut the guy's ear. No, they're going to try to, you know, go against it and make me look bad. But when you have enemies supporting the story that you're saying, that also gives validity to the very text that you're writing. They reported, this, they reported what was true. And the last thing that was significant within inter- internal evidence is, is that they were willing to suffer and die for it. If it was a lie, if I'm writing a story, after a while, you put me up to death. I'm like, okay, I, I, let me change my story a little. If it was a lie. But if it was true, you go to the grave with it. And they suffered and they were willing to die for it. And remember, and the reason why we're going through this is because the, the more valid you feel that the Bible is, the more you take it apart of who you are as an individual, the more you can stand on it. So when you say, I stand on the word of God because this is the source of my faith and the rule of my conduct, therefore, I am standing on some truth. I'm not just doing a half stance. I'm not just doing it because my dad says so. I'm not doing it because I saw my grandmother always read it. Because I have come to a relationship with this word of God that is historically reliable. So the second test is bibliographical test, they call it. So you got internal evidence, bibliographical test. And it's basically saying that the more manuscripts you have, the more valid the story is. Because they, you know, they try to argue, well, well, you know, how you know that Bob didn't change the story you know, a couple of years after it was written? Because then Bob would have to be able to refute the 3,000, no, 5,600 plus transcripts that was made of the New Testament. So the more manuscripts of, of the very book that you're defending, the easier it is to tell if it's true or not. Because if I change it once, I can compare it to 5,600 plus manuscripts to say, okay, is this true or not? But if you have one transcript and you have a fake coming along, you got to say, okay, which one is true or not? So the test is how many transcripts there are. And what makes it even stronger is how close was the transcripts written to the true story. I believe that the first transcript was written within six years of the death of Christ and the resurrection. So that means that the story is fresh. So the fresher it is, the more truth that comes out when rewriting the story. 
It's a bibliographical test. Number three, the last test is external evidences. And external evidence is just basically saying, okay, what writings are outside of the text that corroborate the story? What are the, the, the other books? What, what else is written? So we got, we, and, and if you look back and you research this yourself, you got letters, what they call uh, Josephus. And, and, they, and, they, and the writings of Josephus tell them about the story of this, this Jesus Christ. You got, you got uh, uh, transcripts of, of, of scrolls that were going back from Tiberius Caesar and Pontius Pilate and Tiberius Caesar's asking, what's going on with this Jesus? And Pontius Pilate said, yeah, they killed him. You got artifacts and, and tombs that, that corroborate the, 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 even the, the death on the cross where they found an a, a, a ankle bone with a nail the same way Jesus was uh, crucified in it. And there's so much more external writings that corroborate the story. And the reason why it's necessary to know this stuff is because these facts can determine not only is the New Testament reliable, but its relevance to today. How many of you can really say amen to that? Just the six people. Thank you. See, because, you know, you, know, you know what it is? Because then I can come to a scripture like Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, the only reason why you can say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel is because you know the reliability and the validity and the truth of the gospel. So Paul came to a revelation. He said, look, because of these tests, because I understand I, I interacted with these eyewitnesses, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Not only am I not ashamed of the gospel, but it's also in the power and in the Holy Spirit. Oh, sorry, wrong text. For it is the power of God for salvation. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but then I understand the power of the gospel. Some people falter in Christianity because they don't understand the power of the gospel. See, because if you, if, you, if you truly understood the, the power of the gospel, it's difficult for doubt to creep in. See, so when I pray to God, I understand. He says, if I ask. So Paul says, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for there's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jews and then the Greeks. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he, he's saying that for, for, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. So it's not just some, some book of text and words. He said, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the very word is not just some text in the book. It's not, it's not the social studies book. It's not a, a novel from John Grisham. It's, 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 it's a book that has power within it. Because oh. you see, the, the, te- the New Testament was written by eyewitnesses, and in a few cases, people interviewing eyewitnesses. And the lucky thing about it is, the blessed thing about it is, history backs up the historical reliability of the claims of this book we read. 
So we know the New Testament is true. See, because the Old Testament and the New Testament, we believe is a part of the divine provision of God in our lives. What does this mean? Number one. Number one, you ready? How you look at the Bible strengthens these last four. I'm going to leave you with. Number one, we can count on God. Because the Bible said so. We can count on God. Number two, God is still speaking to us. Because the Bible said so. Oh, come on. That's why we can go to a text with John is, is, is trying to rationalize and understand it. And he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. So there's something about this word. If it's living, it's still speaking. Amen. Number three, based on how you read this word, you can confidently say that God's promises are true. In spite of the situation, in spite of the outlook, in spite of the way we're seeing things. Your condition is never against the power of the Bible. I say this again. Your condition never negates the power of the Bible. Your circumstances never can negate the power of the Bible. And number four. You ready for this? Depending on how you read the word, you believe this or not, that God's power is bigger than any problem you face. So number one, we can count on God. Number two, God is still speaking to us. Number three, God's promises are true. And number four, God's power is bigger than any problem we face. So when somebody asks me, how do I know the Bible's reliability? I said, first we can go to historical. Then we can go to the power of the book. See, we have to come to a place where we, based on evidence, can have a conversation with individuals. Because that question was not a question to combat me. But it's a question because they were trying to find themselves at a place where they can believe in that very book. And that, me not having an answer for that question, I felt that I did not do a good enough job to win them over to Christianity. Because they were sincerely seeking and searching and he said, Pastor Jamal, I've, I've heard these stories. I, I've, I've heard people ask these questions about the Bible, and nobody really has answers. So I'm going to ask you this question because I want to believe in it. He said, how do you know the Bible is true? What test is the Bible put through that puts it superior than any other text? And I had to research it. I had to research it. And I said, I will never be in a place where I can't answer that question again. We have internal evidences, bibliographic tests, and external evidences. These are the three things at its fundamental core of how you can start an argument or have a conversation about the reliability of New Testament. There's so much more. I believe you guys, I pray that you got something out of it today.
Come let us stand. Because, let me put it this way. Your dependency and understanding of the Bible will change your worship. I'm going to put this one more. I saw Minister Melissa up here. She's in tears. See, because for her, based on her, her reading of the Bible, that song is true. See, it's not just something that's a good tune. It's not something that will, will, will stir the crowd, but it's something that's ministering to a person because it is true. He holds her hand. Amen. He knows her name. So when you're in a deep relationship with the Word of God, your worship changes. Because it's, it, all of these songs, all these worship songs, just becomes true to you. And the only thing that'll make it a little, a, a little more deeper is when you're going through something. Because you believe what the word says, and you got this song being set, sung, it's okay, this is really ministering to me. This is really going to take me through my week. This is really going to pull me out of my situation. This is really going to keep me going. That's all that Paul said. He said, look, he says, not just words on a, on a paper. He said, but the words in itself have power. They were written with such a conviction through the Holy Spirit. See, God, yes, the Bible is inspired, but God was creative and, and, and he was a genius when he chose certain individuals to write the Bible. <laughs> God is so good. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for just this opportunity to get a deeper understanding of how true and reliable your book is. Not, how, not only just how true and how reliable your book is, but how powerful it is. So Lord, we ask that as we come to this book, that you put us into a place of discernment, a place of, of, of submission to understand that we're not just holding some type of basic textbook or some novel, but this is a book of power. And this power is designed to change my life. So Lord, we ask that you have your way. Thank you for all you do. And we pray that you have your way. And we submit to your will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. As we close out. Come on, guys. Say it like we mean it. This Bible. See, now it takes on a different meaning, especially now you know how reliable and true the Bible is. This Bible is our primary source of faith. This Bible creates the lens that we see life through. Okay, wait, 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 wait. 
<laughs> Let's try this again. <laughs> Thank God my dad wasn't here. <laughs> this Bible is our primary source of faith. This Bible is our rule of conduct. This Bible creates a lens that we see life through. And leave this place with never God's presence. Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass. God bless and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. <laughs>